0: Don't you think such a theory, such a radical theory, is antisocial? On the contrary. It seems to me that it is more practical and humane. What about the women who want babies now and in ten years will not be able to have babies? Rather impractical, don't you think? Oh, John, you do
1: ask hard questions. I should think
0: that instead of being impractical, it is really very practical and intelligent and humane. But Mrs. Slee, in this country, having babies is the only thing left which is both unrationed and untaxed. Do you think we really ought to stop? Well, I suppose a subject like that is really so personal that it's entirely up to the parents to decide.
1: But from my view, I believe that there should be no more babies.
0: Even a God in the sense of a divine being who rewards or punishes people after death? Well, I have a different attitude about uh, the divine.
1: I feel that we have divinity within us and the more we express the good part of our lives the more the divine within us expresses itself. welcome everybody to nwczradio.com channel one's down the rabbit hole my name is big d and i'm Brandon. and it is once again fantastic to have everybody along thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode we want to thank our friends over there at friends radio network nwczradio.com channel one and we also have a station a new station coming we uh we will announce that next week there's a I think there's one or two new stations, internet stations, that want to carry our little podcast. And so yeah. we've granted them permission, and we will have all that information and put it into the show notes and links and stuff next week. But we're kind of excited about that. That's nice.
0: It is nice to get on to, get into other places for people to hear our message and our insanity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, this week is uh, definitely... Man, I tell you, Brandon and I actually had to have a pre-episode meeting because, just to make sure we were on the same page with this. Yeah, because it's... uh, I I suggested this topic because I had read some things that I thought were off the radar, things that most people don't know about who we're going to talk about today. And so I thought, well, let's look into it and... We've talked around Margaret Sanger before. We, yes. We've mentioned her before, especially in our episode on eugenics, but we've never deep dived on her as a human being. And I am not shocked very easy.
0: I'm stunned. Yeah. I I was too. I mean, it was one of those things when I, I first started looking into this, and yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, she's the one who started. I know she was a little bit out there, and. You know, had some ins- little bit crazy ideas, but, you know, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, I start going down this and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah it gets really dark. And I thought,
1: yeah, it gets really dark, really fast. Yes. And it is its stunning is the only word I can I can come up with, because even doing research, if you just do a cursory search or A nominal research on Margaret Sanger you're going to get pages and pages and pages of who she was that she started Uh Planned Parenthood and she may have been a eugenicist and and maybe she one time spoke to the KKK but overall she was a, a true advocate for women's rights and she was a pioneer and she all these things and yeah, she might have, you know, time and place, and we can't judge them by that. It is way deeper, way darker, way more disturbing than that. And I personally, I don't know if Brandon follows me on this, but if we had time, and I may do this on a midweek podcast, I can tie Margaret Sanger to the Illuminati without a doubt
0: oh yeah i mean easily easily
1: and i mean it's it's,
0: there's so much random weird stuff in darkness with her i mean it it was one of those things like you said i mean you know time and place and i get that oh you know it was a different time and place but like you know even when you go down the eugenics stuff that she believed we're talking 40s and 50s we're talking into the 50s she's still talking about eugenics Most people, time and place, eugenics was big until the Nazis took it over, which they got pretty much their blueprint from her.
1: Yeah. So we're going to try to tackle this all in one episode. And we may have to do subsequent episodes, like zeroing in on certain aspects of, and she will come up in it, such as like the Fabian Society and uh, some of the the people she hung out with, go, put them under a microscope because there's a lot of people who she hung out with and who influenced her who would shock you what their belief system was and what they were advocating for and how their philosophies are in full bloom right now. Yeah, great time. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Margaret Sanger and this, just to clarify to everybody out there, we are talking about the person Margaret Sanger. Yes. So this isn't we're, we're, this isn't a debate or a commentary on abortion. This is about a person who happened to start Planned Parenthood.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, we could go down to, we could spend we can go down the whole debate on you know abortion whether you believe it or not and I mean yeah. A lot of the stuff I went went down, I mean, I might have changed a little bit of my view on it, but yeah. 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 But well, this is about her and just how, who she was.
1: Exactly. And that's where we're going to start. So you've all heard the name. I assume she's very popular, especially in the the feminist movement and the woman power movement. And of course, also in the abortion movement because she started Planned Parenthood. Yes. She was born in 1879 in New York, and I didn't realize this. She she didn't die until 1966. Yeah, she was around for a while. 86 years old, so she she lived a good long time. And she was one of many children. I think there were um, was there eleven. Kids? I
0: think so. I, I saw it in a couple places, but that wasn't something I wrote down. I think though. it was
1: 11 total, but I, there were some who died early Didn't and make so, it, yeah. so forth. But her parents were Irish Catholics, and her mom was very devout. Yes, very devout. Her dad, Michael Hennessy Higgins, however, which I, I find this interesting, he was a stonemason. I could not find anywhere that said he was an actual Mason, like he joined the Masons, but I would guess most stonemasons join the Masons. That's kind of the thing.
0: (laughs) It is kind of the thing. I mean, it's right there in the name.
1: Wikipedia describes him as a free-thinking stonemason father. It's way deeper than that. He was radical. Oh, yeah. He was a stone-cold Marxist, hated the church. He was a a drunk. Uh, He was uh, mean- very, very mean, and he was not faithful, let's say. What? No. Well, according to an article that I found, this was from Margaret Sanger. Margaret in one of her early papers, and, and a lot of pe- she wrote several books, and now uh, you read a couple of them. Yes. But she wrote a lot of papers and she wrote a lot of essays, and she had a magazine for a while. And she would sometimes write sort of uh, like a diary in these early magazines about mm-hmm. her. She was kind of working out her philosophy and about who she was and you know all this stuff. And she wrote this. She wrote about that her father was a radical and he was a radical Marxist and so forth. And he was the spring from which she drank. So she felt very close to him. Yes. She also relates a time when she was nine years old and she was sick with typhoid. And according to her, she was barely conscious, but awoke to find him in bed, in her bed with her, pressed up against him. And she describes this, a quote, a sense of falling that accompanied the event and labeled it as her quote, first sex awakening, was in bed at nine with her dad. She didn't describe what actually went on, but to her, it was a, it was a sexually awakening moment, which is kind of creepy. It is. It gets worse. She had a brother. He died when he was four years old, and his, this brother's name was Henry. One night at midnight, her father and her went to the cemetery where Henry had been buried, and she and her father dug up the boy's cadaver, and they formed a plaster of Paris form of the head and shoulders to create a death mask of Henry, and then they cut off a lock of hair and put it in the in the plaster for a presentation to the wife, to Margaret's mom. Why? A, it's illegal. <laughs> yeah. B You're going with your dad to a cemetery at midnight to dig up your dead brother to make a plaster of Paris bust of your dead brother. So, this was her childhood. None of that seems like a good thing. No, that seems to me like that's, uh, well, she had a very, I'll just say, like her. So, her father was he ranted and raved and he hated the system. And like I said, he was, he was a stone cold Marxist. Cause yeah. he, he didn't like working and he had all these kids and he, he felt under the gun all the time. And mom was more like uh, a June Cleaver. You know, she, she was a very church going person. This is our lot in life. This is just how, you know, this is how God wants us to be and so forth. And so they, they had this tumultuous relationship and Margaret, joined in with dad against mom. She didn't actually, she didn't like her mom very much.
0: Yeah. And and it's weird though, because if you find the stuff that she wrote about, that's how it's portrayed. But everybody else that talks about her, it's the other way where they talk about, Oh, she, she would loved her mom. But then once her mom died, then she became a daddy's girl. But like anything, time she's talking about it, it seems the other way. So you're kind of like, where did these people get their info?
1: Well, there's a lot of misinformation and I would call it propaganda.
0: I think it is. It's one of those things. There's a lot of people that try and pour, paint her in a good light because, well, look at all the horrible stuff she's doing and if we're going to praise her for starting Planned Parenthood, we can't let you know people think that she was this horrible person.
1: There's a lot of that. A lot of that. Yeah. When she left home... She wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do. So she tried nursing. I think she taught a little bit and was just kind of not sure what to do. Anyway, she ended up getting married and she had three kids. Was it, I think it was three kids, right? Yes. Now here's another thing. If you read certain articles, they talk about, oh, the, these three kids, they were, they were the light of her life. They were amazing. And so forth. Now, one of them did die. Wasn't that Sadie? One of them passed away. One of them dead. And I, I've, so I've seen reference to these letters that these two surviving kids wrote to their mom about how she had ne- neglected them. She didn't like them. She didn't care for them. She, she would tell them she never wanted them around and so forth. She basically didn't even raise them yeah and they were because
0: they were a problem they they and that's one thing i got through everything with her kids are a nuisance in every way and shape or form to her just a nuisance
1: yes oh yeah they were in the way it was it was not what she wanted and she was um she was a horrible mom by all accounts and i wish i could find these letters, I've seen them referred to. I've seen them referenced. Uh, I've read several articles where they said, oh, yes, and in these papers, but I I could not find them. Yeah. So, so if anybody out there has a link to them or has a copy of them, please send them in. Down the RH at protonmail.com. I'd love to read those.
0: There's a lot of those I'd like to read. There's a lot of the stuff where they talk about the letters and stuff like that were written, and I couldn't find, I could find mention of them and like, pieces but never the actual letter right
1: there was a lot of that so i can't honestly say that i know that they're there i've just seen them referenced many many times yeah so anyway she she was she was married but at the same time she was she was loose she was all over the place She had, I mean, multiple, 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 multiple affairs all over the place. And didn't even hide it. It wasn't like, oh, you know, no, it was just flat out like, yep,
0: this is what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, if you don't like it, that's tough on you. In fact, I was telling you, her husband, after after multiple, multiple years of affair with H.G. Wells and all these other guys... He said that basically what she was doing was a Saturnalia of sex. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I've seen that word before. I, I've heard of that. And Saturnalia is basically, it's, it's a reference to a huge orgy that would happen once a year. It, I think it was a, it was a Roman orgy. For yeah, a, in December. Yeah, and they would just go crazy. It was food, drink, and sex orgies, just, but with everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's how her husband viewed. That's what she was doing. And she, was, she would have long, long, long-term affairs. Oh,
0: yeah. And, it wasn't just like a once or twice. I mean, it was, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think with H.G. Wells, it was almost it was over 10 years. And then with this uh, Ellis and on and on and on. I, yeah, I don't, we don't need to go through the list. But there were yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people you would know. Uh, one of the things she decided is that she wanted to... While she was doing this nursing, she she realized that she did not like actually nursing or whatever. It wasn't her thing. So she started doing... She started writing. At first, it was uh, a, a equivalent of a blog. It was just uh, kind of like a little paper that she would hand out. Mm-hmm. And then she started... Um, in 1914, The Woman Rebel, it was an eight-page monthly newsletter, and the slogan was, No Gods, No Masters. That was the slogan on the paper. She got caught up into Malthusianism, and she got caught up into the famed Fabian Society.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what amazes me. It's like We were talking before the show started about how all of this stuff keeps tying back into each other so yes. much and it's insane
1: yes in fact in this fabian society and let let's let's dive into that for just a moment because this is where all signs point to her actually coming into clarity and fruition with yeah. her goals her drive her philosophy And so the Fabian Society was this group in England of all these supposed deep thinkers, authors, scientists, philosophers, and so forth. And, I mean, we can name them. We'll we'll go down that when we do it in its entirety. But they would come together, and they sort of mixed science, occultism, and uh, eugenics into this concoction. And they would sit around and they would do seances. They would have uh, orgies. They would go spend the night in haunted houses or uh, in graveyards. And they would sit around and have deep thoughts about Greek gods. And their underlying philosophy was that there is a master race, that they're part of it. Mm -hmm. And in order to continue this master race... They had to protect the bloodline, as we've talked about before, and not let it get watered down. Yeah. And in order to do that, you had to eliminate those that were watering it down.
0: And see, that's where it's one of those things that we've talked about before of this is where we start running into problems because now who gets to decide what's watering down well, what and according to them,
1: is. it was everyone but them.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I Just mean, Everyone it, but, like, the Germans, pretty
1: much. Yeah, I mean, it, it was African Americans. It was Hispanics. It was low-income anybody. It was Irish. Yes. It was Jews. It was... Poles. Yeah, the Polish. You go down the list. They hated everybody. Pretty much. And they saw them all as lessers. And they particularly hated the Catholic Church and or Christianity. And they had this idea. Yeah, there was a um, this Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I, that's one that I've thought about going now, because that's one when I was talking about the
0: OTO, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was another one that Crowley was in, and another big, you know.
1: Yes, this is where she crossed paths with him. Yes,
0: big magical society that I'm like, I kind of, I, I really, I, I'm i thinking I, I want to go in uh, down that rabbit hole. I think you should,
1: because this yeah. is where they cross paths. And here's where their idea of, and this is going to blow some people's mind, but this is not our words. This, this is theirs, and this is her philosophy. It's written down. You can, you, you can find it. They believed that if, you, if women were unshackled from the church, religion, religion, from society morals, society mores were empowered to their fullest, were free from marriage, from... They were, they were there basically in control of themselves in all phases of everything. Mm-hmm. That they, in turn, through this energy and this power that they were creating for themselves, and this is where the term liberating women came from, completely liberate themselves from everything that they would in turn this energy and this feminine power would give them mobility to birth superhumans almost like gods on earth. And that was the, that was the ultimate goal Yeah, is they were going to protect the women who need to be protected, get rid of the ones that needed to go get rid of all the social mores, get, get rid of all of any kind of morality and everything, and then birth in this new feminine spirit. It's, I can't remember what the name it was, but they gave it a name, and it was going to be unleashed on the earth and give everybody this power to basically, it would be the Garden of Eden and Utopia on earth again, which is very, very, very similar to the promise of the new world order. Wait, you're going to tell me she's part of the New World Order too? Absolutely. Well, she she hung out with H.G. Wells for years. Oh, yeah. And so this is where her mind is at. Yeah. And she's (laughs) she was hanging out with a lady named E. Nesbitt who was part of this Fabian society. And E. Nesbitt, if you don't know about her, she was a child's author. She, she authored kids' books. And she was a straight-up Marxist. She was uh, one of the founders of the Fabian Society. She was also in the Social Democratic Federation. And many people don't know this, but the Fabian Society, were, they were the ones who founded the London School of Economics. The London School of Economics is an offshoot of the Fabian society meant to install Marxism in the world. Yeah. Well, she was a sex freak. No, she, (laughs) she was crazy and Uh she was in favor of pedophilia. Yeah. And this was a really good friend of hers. Havelock Ellis is another one. Havelock Ellis. if, If you don't know who he is, Go down wow. the rabbit hole on this guy. He was, wow. Special on every degree.
0: And not in a good, good way special. No.
1: No, this guy was human filth and trash all rolled up into one. And she had a long-term affair with him, even though he was impotent. And he was, he was married at the – so this guy was married. And he w- was impotent. But he was a sex freak in his right. mind. And he was also part of, you know, all these same groups, Fabian Society and Marxism and, and eugenicists and all that stuff. And a lot of people consider him the father of the transgender movement.
0: Yeah. And, in a lot of ways. I yeah. Mean, he well, was, he, really he, for it.
1: he was big in soc- into psychedelic drugs. He loved mescaline. He supported eugenics. He was the uh, vice president of the Eugenics Society. But this is what this guy would do. So because he couldn't perform sex, he initially talked his wife into having all kind of affairs with both men and women and in front of him and he would sit around and he would take notes. Then it proceeded to from there to where he would start having all these people from the the Fabian society and the eugenic society over and they would have huge orgies. So and then he would take notes and this was for research, of course, as as we all know, and he's writing papers and books and so forth. Then, it, then he goes into full-on homosexuality, and then he goes into full-on pedophilia. Nice. And this guy is just a scumbag. He's a deviant. He's a scumbag. But he is an intellectual giant, according to all of them. And he was groundbreaking and on and on and on. Well, this is the crowd she hung out with. And where she got all of her, whatever, ideas and formulated her theories and stuff. There was also this guy she hung out with. His name was Edward Carpenter. He was a British poet and, quote, academic. And that's what they all were. They were all academics. They were, they were all philosophers.
0: Philosophers, academics, all, I mean, basically, yeah, none of them had real jobs.
1: Yeah, so I'm looking at uh, WikiWand which is, it's a great, that's a great site. And he's described as a utopian socialist, a poet, a philosopher, an anthologist, and an early activist for gay rights, and prison reform, while advocating vegetarianism, and taking a a stance against vivisection. Vivisection, Uh, huh? Yeah. But this was his claim to fame. And this is where I think Sanger really connected with this guy. He described civilization as a form of disease through which human societies pass. And therefore, because it's a disease, we must exercise out the sick part. It was yeah. very Darwinian.
0: And that's one of the things that was interesting. A lot of stuff I read from her was they tried to make it very scientific and very Darwinianism. In a way to make it sound like, you know, oh, you know, we're we this isn't scientific, we're showing you scientific proof that this is what needs to happen.
1: And right. It's, yeah. But the people that she's citing as scientific were not. Yeah. These are all what are deep thinkers or you know, philosophers or freaks. Actually, mm-hmm. if you really want to get down to it, then there's the Nazi connection. And a lot of people don't want you to go down this road.
0: Well, of course not.
1: But the road has already been paved, sadly. Nazi Germany's infanticide program in the 1930s, which we all know about and was publicly championed by Adolf Hitler. And yeah. it was his goal for you know, the Aryan white supremacy and stuff. Margaret Sanger had called for the, quote, elimination of human weeds and prohibiting them to reproduce. Margaret Sanger had written several articles in 1932 for calling for women to be segregated from the larger community Mm -hmm. and they should be taught to work under competent uh, instruction and so forth, and that if they didn't want to live that way, they could uh, get out it get out of it by consenting to be sterilized. She was uh, starting to push out her euthanasia propaganda at a, an alarming clip actually. Yeah. Well, the Nazis learned about these America programs and adopted them. This guy named Edwin black documents in his book, the war against the Weak* that the Nazi sterilization law of 1933 and the subsequent Nazi and euthanasia laws were both, based on blueprints drawn up by Sanger Mm -hmm. Uh, Sanger's close associate Clarence Gamble who funded Sanger and spoke at her conferences uh, who also published in Sanger's magazine and served on the board of her American Birth Control League both knew about the Nazi sterilization and euthanasia programs and praised them Stoddard traveled to Germany where he met with top Nazi officials and even Hitler and in his 1940 book, Into the Darkness, he praises Hitler and the Nazi eugenics program and admits that, yes, it was Sanger who inspired them.
0: Of course not. No way. Yeah. And, and that's what amazes me. Is there's so many people that be like, no, 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 you're reaching. It's like, no,
1: there's documented proof Oh, yeah. Have said it was her. They've said it. Her own people have said it. It's there. Also, during this time, she was basically uh, formulating uh, how to get around certain laws in the United States. Yes. There was a lot of that. Yeah, wasn't it the, the Comstock law?
0: Yep. That's one that put her in jail because it was, you couldn't send anything explicit through the mail.
1: The Comstock Act of 1914. She did get put in jail, and she was uh, afraid, so that's why she went to England. And that's where she started hanging out with all these people and all this stuff. Well, she comes back to America, and in uh, 1916, she opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S. Well, how does somebody who is... And she's still married at this time. Mm-hmm. And her kids are still alive. And she's bouncing back and forth. She has no idea where the kids are at. I don't think her husband knows where she's at. And so, and she's getting involved with all these people at the Fabian Society while she's in England. Her mind's expanded. She's sexually free and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So she's, come, she's coming back to America and I'm going to tell you, this sounds a lot like uh, some of the Illuminati family stories that we have discussed. Because this is a gal who was basically a society climber. She had some ideas. She, was, she didn't really know what was going on. Uh, she was kind of you know, formulating her opinion. She comes back to America. And suddenly, you have huge corporations lining up behind her, throwing mm-hmm. cash at her. Like the Rockefellers, the yeah, Fords, all the, the, all the usual that we talk about. Yeah, all the usual suspects. Yeah, they are just throwing cash at her, and so in 1916 she opens up the first birth control clinic in the U.S. Hmm. And there's a lot of it, like I was saying when I was reading her
0: book, because her book came out after she'd been arrested, and there was a lot of she was more about birth control than about abortion but you could tell it was because abortion wasn't legal so she talked about the birth control more to keep herself out of trouble but it it was just it was very weird the way she would talk about it too but she was very good about making it sound scientific and then she opened the birth control clinic and you know, it, it was very much she portrayed it and pushed it as oh, it's about women being able to free themselves and like you said, and be be you know a strong woman and women's rights. Which I mean, I'm all for women's rights, but she was portraying it as that so that she could do it was propaganda, just uh, pr- pure and simple propaganda. I'm going to tell you this: watch what the right hand's doing because the left hand, I'm killing you. I'm, I'm killing people.
1: And and if you think we're off base on any of this, I. I'm not going to put all these in the show notes, but if you would like these, I have documented articles, PDF files, hmm. of all this stuff. Right. Uh, the other group that that lined up was, were the Melons, which was another huge eugenicist, one-world government yes. Marxist family that had a ton of cash, and they, they were thrown her way as well.
0: Because they were all bought into it. Because the whole idea was... You know, get rid of the 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 bad seats.
1: Yes, they all saw themselves as the elite, which which is the same thing that we've talked about over and over and over again with these supposed Illuminati families. That's the whole idea. This is this whole idea of bloodlines that they are special this is what bill this is how bill gates sees himself this is how george soros sees himself this is how all of these people see themselves yeah i did find this interesting so when she was in this i'm going to call it a propaganda phase because she was wanting to get abortion legalized but she was doing it under this guise of quote family planning Well, this is from some of their own documents. It says Planned Parenthood utilized several different experimental methodologies in its sex education programs in order to accomplish these four aims. Value clarification, peer facilitation, sensitivity training, role-playing, and positive imaging. Now, if you look into those, according to several articles... These are all techniques used by behavioral scientists and cyberneticians when discussing, quote, reshaping public demand for transformative policies. In other words, this is all propaganda. It was a a huge propaganda machine. Change the language, reshift the focus. This is what we're actually pushing. It's not that. And anybody who says that, you defame them. They're crazy. No way. We just want to help people plan families.
0: We're here to help. And like you said, that's why they changed the name. It went from what was it originally it was called birth control league. I think. Yes. No, you said, yeah, birth control league. And then they're like, well, that sounds too much. People birth control has that negative idea to it. And that negative thought that everyone has like, oh, birth control. Ooh. So they're like, oh, planned parenthood. We're helping people plan to not be parents. Well, that's that's
1: what that was the true motivation, but that's not how they sold it.
0: No, they sold it as basically the whole idea of Planned Parenthood and the way it was sold. And this is kind of one of those things. And this goes back to the Malthusianism of um, have children later when you're ready. Have children when you can't have only the ones you want, you know, in the book that I read from her, she had a whole bunch of letters that she got from women where they're talking about how they're on kid number 11 and they just can't stop squirting them out. How do I stop this? How do I need your help to stop having children? You know, and they'd have the whole thing of like, oh, these people who have, you know, tuberculosis and they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you can't have a baby while you have tuberculosis. So we're going to have to medically remove the baby to, to protect you. Now, don't do that again, but they wouldn't give them any lessons or tell them how to not get pregnant again. And then they'd go home and their husband, who would want his, you know, husbandly duty and would knock her up again. And then she's right back to the doctor and like, don't do that again. But they would give him no no lessons on how not to get. It. And that's how they were they were selling it, which when you think of it that way and look at, okay, giving women understandings on their bodies and teaching them how to, you know, not have you know not get pregnant till they want to and to control themselves their body and do all this stuff sounds great. Well here's the throw the rest of it in.
1: Here are the founding principles, quote, of the American Birth Control League. Yes. This was their statement of or mission statement. We hold that children should be one conceived in love. Yes. So if you're not conceived in love This Okay, so this is where it gets really
0: shady. Well, I mean, my parents were married, but I don't know if they were in love anymore. Well,
1: these Fabian society, they believed that if there was any negativity, whether it be from the church or from society or from morals or from stress, strain, pressure, any kind of negativity that was involved in the conception of a child, that child was stained with that, and they came out, they were the lower class. That's what caused them to be criminals, that caused them to not do well in life, and they, they became a burden on society. That was their true belief. Yes. And so when they say conceived in love, that sounds really nice, but that's, that is a deceiving statement right there.
0: Because their belief literally was that if you were born and there was any negativity, like you said, you came out already tainted. Exactly. You were tainted and there was no way to to, to clean that taint off.
1: And the only way to be conceived, according to them, in true freedom, in true love and everything was if the mom was completely and utterly liberated like we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, completely liberated and not just because the argument that they'd have, too, is the reason why people would get pregnant so many and have so many kids, especially the poor, because uh, the the girls would marry young to get out of the house because they didn't want to be with their mom and dad anymore. And they'd marry young and nobody would teach them how, you know, what to do. And then all of a sudden they were knocked up almost immediately. And then again and again and again, you know, and that's. That was the argument, which in some ways I can kind of see it. I mean, having some knowledge of how this all works would help. But well, they, they particularly took
1: aim to. at the Christian church, at the Catholic yeah. church, because they they did not like contraceptives.
0: Yeah, contraceptives. No, it's like the the Monty Python song. You know, no, every sperm is sacred.
1: <laughs> so, number two of their uh, tenants from the American Birth Control League was born of mothers' conscious desire
0: mom had to want the baby and it couldn't be that oh hey you know we had we we had sex for fun and now she's pregnant that's it had to be she intentionally had sex to have a baby
1: oh yeah she was thinking about it she was meditating on it she was doing it for a reason and a purpose and and it was all good
0: yes they didn't have sex for fun it was with the intent of making a baby right
1: and number three, and only begotten under conditions which render possible the heritage of health. Therefore, we hold that every woman must possess the power and freedom to prevent conception, except when these conditions shall be satisfied. Now, what's the heritage of health? That, that's exactly
0: what you were just talking about a minute ago. The basically no... No no mental issues, no physical issues, you know, um, no tan at all. Right. Need to be white, white, like German white. Smart. Yes. Should come out hailing Hitler on the way out. I mean, that's kind of what they, they, it's got to be to their specificity of health is white, not poor, not, you know, no, no physical, no physical ailments should come out looking, you know, perfect glowing you know a god on his way out
1: right so uh she eventually established this thing called the clinical research bureau in 1923 and it was basically to exploit uh, a loophole that they were having problems with this american birth control league setting up shop for that and the crb was the first legal birth control clinic in the united states that was staffed entirely by female doctors and social workers. And guess who extensively funded this? The Rockefellers. Yeah. They made anonymous donations to Sanger's Causes for decades.
0: Yeah. Back to the idea of you know the, the child being of health or whatever. Um, there was an interview she did with Mike Wallace in 1957 where she states, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That to me is the greatest sin that people can commit.
1: Oh yeah, so now you've opened that floodgate. So we're going to get into now.
0: But I'm just saying that was the whole idea with her health and talking about the health of a baby. That right there in that statement says it. You know, you if you don't bring a healthy baby with into this world without your sin and without your poorness, you are committing that. That is the greatest sin.
1: Yes, and therefore you should not be able to. Hey, she was involved in sterilizing many, many, many women against their knowledge.
0: Oh yeah, and we there's an episode we did, I think when we did the eugenics where we talk about the sterilization and how they literally had sterilization programs. Yes. And she was a huge proponent and hugely pushed that. Like, if, you don't, if we don't believe that you deserve to have children, we're just going to
1: sterilize you. So let's go through some of Margaret Sanger's thoughts that she was so nice to write down. Yeah. In an interview with John Parsons in 1947, she said, but for my view, I believe that there should be no more babies. Period. <laughs> Woman and the New Race, Chapter 5. Which
0: is the book that I read.
1: And I think the chapter is titled The Wickedness of Creating Larger Families. Yep. She said the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Yeah. Uh, This
0: is an evil person. I'm sorry. No, it is. And, And by large families, when she talks about it, it's not, you know, we're not talking like 15 whatever, kids, is a large family, like more than three. Yes. Anything more than three is considered a large family. Preferably
1: just one.
0: Yeah, me, you, large families.
1: Yes. In a letter to Dr. Clarence J. Gamble, December tenth, 1939, she wrote this, we don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Yes.
0: And this was also in that, that same letter because that's one that I read. She mentions that they want, you know, and, and these are her words: Negro doctors and Negro, you know, people because the the they'll listen to them, and if we can get them on board, they'll listen to them, and they will do the abortions, they would do the birth control, they will let us sterilize them because it's coming from one of their own.
1: They hired, they they paid off pastors.
0: Yes, and pastors. That was it. It was pastors and doctors. Yes, everything, and they wanted you know doctors that were. Of color, because that's they could go into these neighborhoods and they would be like, oh, it's one. of He's one of us. Yeah, and so it's all good. He must have his he must have our, our, our you know, our actual well-being in mind. And, they, they, you know, the whole idea, like I said, you know, that's the next statement. We don't want We want to do this so they don't realize that we are trying to exterminate them.
1: Exterminate.
0: Exterminate. And that's her word. Exterminate.
1: Yeah. Not not. Like lower the population, get rid of them. And she talked about them in
0: multiple things that I read where she talked about anyone of color, like I said, anyone who had a tan was basically in her mind a parasite. And a weed. And a weed and needed to be taken care of yeah. and exterminated.
1: In the eugenic value of birth control propaganda, the birth control review, she wrote this. This was from 1921. The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. Yes. And you say, well, there's a lot of people who have a problem with kids who are, have Down syndrome or have big, big problems. And they can be a burden and so forth. I don't buy that argument, but I have heard people say that. She's not even talking about like the extremely tough cases. She's talking about people who are just slightly yeah. not up to par.
0: Like if your IQ is below like
1: 120. Yeah. Like you should have an IQ test in the womb. Yeah. In 1918, in a the birth control review titled, When Should a Woman Avoid Having Children? She said, no more children should be born when the parents, though healthy themselves, find that their children are physically or mentally defective.
0: Yeah. So if you're having children and your children have issues, then you should not be allowed to have any more children. So if you have a children that is, has a defect or anything that they determine is a defect at birth, you should not be allowed to have any more.
1: Any defect. Let's say you're missing a finger.
0: Yeah. You have cleft lip they determine it's a defect they determine oh that baby he didn't talk or you know make you know talk till he was one sorry that's not enough he he should have been talking long before that
1: Uh, i read one where she said she was even talking about like birth marks yeah like if they had a if they had a birth mark that was a defect like they had to be like they had to be perfect Yes.
0: And that's what it's one of those things like we've talked about before when I was talking about Malthusianism and universe 20, you know, 25. I is is the world overpopulated. No. And I don't think we're really going to get there. I think if you 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 really look at a lot of things, we're not going to get there. But the biggest problem you run into with eugenics and with what she's thinking, human beings are the ones making the decision. You know, like when I watch the the Marvel movies and Thanos snaps and half the population's gone and half of everything's gone, but no one chooses. It's just a random half. That is, if any of this was ever going to have to happen because our population was too much, that would be the answer. Not, oh, I get to choose because the second we choose as humans, we're going to choose the ones we like.
1: Yeah.
0: And who are you to decide that this is the race that gets to live This is the people that get to live. This person with a defect doesn't get to live, you know, and that's what drives me nuts. It's like, who are you to decide? I mean, it's one of those things. And it's, I know it's really strange to go to a Star Trek reference, but it goes to a Star Trek reference of, you know, Geordi on next generation was blind, had the visor and all that. They go to a society where he ends up saving the society. And he's, and it was a society that got rid of anybody in the room that had a defect. And he's like, it's funny to think I saved you. But in your society, I would have been killed. You know, I would have been destroyed, you know, in the womb. And that's where a lot of these go. Out of all these babies that haven't been born, to these babies that were, you know, aborted for whatever reason, or in, they they even they promote infant, infant, the infanticide. Infant-
1: infanticide.
0: Infanticide. They promote it. How, how do we know one of those babies wasn't the next Einstein? Was it, you know, the... the The next
1: somebody that was going to save the world. It's just, it's the idea that the living, the person who's alive, is deciding that they are the master race. Yes. And creating a situation, trying to create laws, and creating a mindset that anybody who's not us is not acceptable and therefore must be eliminated. Yes. She was a big, big uh, proponent of having permits for parenthood, permits mm-hmm. for uh, having kids. She wanted the government to get involved, uh, much like China, much like China these days, although they've backed off a little bit because they, they're, they're going to implode if they're not careful. Oh. They're,
0: they're already imploding. It's like I mentioned in the, the episode when I was talking about it. They're, they're, they have their population. There's no one there to take care of the old. And no one to take care of their jobs now that they're having to retire.
1: Well, here's a couple of, here's some other quotes of hers that are just stunning. Oh, yeah. In the highlights of the history of birth control, October 1923, she says, these two words, birth control, sum up our whole philosophy. It means the release and cultivation of the better elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks. Those human weeds, which threatened the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization, and what—and she actually meant the world, yes—but she was speaking primarily here in the United States. So, defective stocks. She was very clear who they were, and that they should all. She says a
0: lot where she she'll say that defective stocks. And you have to dig and you can find places and other places and letters and stuff where she sent to people where she lists out the, what the defective stocks are.
1: Yeah. And it's basically everybody but them.
0: Yeah. It's pretty much, yeah. It's everyone but them.
1: She also said in Morality and Birth Control in 1918, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. Yep. Knowledge of birth control is essentially moral. It's general, though prudent, practice must lead to a higher individuality and ultimately to a cleaner race.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then she said, what, in the 1922 in the pivot of civilization, feeble-mindedness perpetuates its, perpetrates itself from the ranks of those who are bland, blandly indifferent to their racial responsibilities. And it is largely this type of humanity we are now drawing upon to populate our world for the generations to come. In this orgy of multiplying and replenishing the earth, this type is peripasse, multiplying and perpetuating those direst evils in which we must, if civilization is to survive, extirpate by the very roots. So, yeah, basically saying your racial responsibility is to get rid of the races that aren't doing what you want.
1: Yeah, and this is where if we had time, because we're getting to the end of this episode, and and I'm going to do this on on a future midweek, where I can tie her to the Huxleys, I can tie her to H.G. Wells, I can tie her to Aleister Crowley, I can tie her to all the funders of the New World Order, I can tie her to the ideas of the New World Order. I do believe... And this has been extremely eye-opening to me going through this. I believe that she was unleashed on the world because she had tenacity. She obviously didn't care about her family. She could care less about her husband. She would basically have sex with anybody at any time, anywhere. She was ruthless.
0: Well, she got married a second time. And the second time she married basically because the guy had money. Oh and yeah, use that money to do this. But there was a prenup that basically said, "Hey, I get my own room in the house. If you want to have a date with me, you have to call me, and I can have anybody in that
1: room I want, and with a locked door. But you can only come in when I say so." And she vowed to spend every last cent of his vast fortune on did. Planned Parenthood. And she did. Yes, she did. Evil woman. I believe the she board. was backed by, and she was a puppet master Mm -hmm. one of the one of the inner circles of if not directly the Illuminati she knew who they were and she had signed a deal with them and they backed her and she was protected and she was unleashed on the world
0: she was because I mean there's multiple times where if you look at the history of Planned Parenthood that she was removed from the board because of her history And some of the things she was saying in these interviews and then was very quickly put back on.
1: And those people who removed her were removed. Yes. And again, I can already hear some of you out there saying, wow, I read an article by Vice or I read an article by so-and-so that said this is all bunk. I can send you the documents. Yeah. They're there. We didn't just pull this out of thin air. I didn't. Even, I did not know this when I thought about talking about her. It was in a much different vein. I had no idea what I was uncovering here and unearthing. Oh yeah. And there have been a lot of people who have covered this, but it has been buried. It. Ha- I'm surprised some of it's even still available, because a lot of it has been disappeared. And yes, you hear now that Planned Parenthood is distancing themselves from her because of her speaking at a KKK meeting and also because of some of her eugenic ideas. I'm here to tell you she was much, much worse than that.
0: Well, and I think what they're doing is it's, it's once again, you go down the propaganda hole they're removing her saying hey hey we noticed these couple little things she did yeah you're right we should definitely remove her because they don't want people like us to find the other stuff and start showing that saying hey um hey you know look what she really did so if they admit to the small part hey look over here look at these little things she did people aren't going to go down the rabbit hole like we did and find all the stuff like oh wow like i a lot of the ones i listened to a lot of people i talked to compared her to hitler, mao, mussolini,
1: all of them. so i did come across this one writer, her name was mabel dodge, and i thought she described this real well and i'm i'm going to i'm going to conclude my thoughts on this because i'm with you. i i'm sorry, but you cannot unmarry margaret sanger and her philosophy, her ideas and what she was pushing from Planned Parenthood, you can't do it.
0: No, because a lot of people don't realize this too, Planned Parenthood and all that, the birth control league, everything, it wasn't just one thing. They incorporated like all the movements around the country and then around the world into one giant umbrella. Yes. So it's like basically she unionized, if for lack of a better word, all of the you know, birth control movements and abortion movements worldwide into one umbrella, and that's Planned Parenthood.
1: So I thought this statement was interesting by this writer, Mabel Dodge, who apparently, as far as I can understand, she knew her or hung out with her or something. But she described Margaret Sanger as this, quote, it was if she had been more or less arbitrarily chosen by the, quote, powers that be to voice a new gospel of not only sex knowledge in regard to contraceptions, but sex knowledge about copulation and its intrinsic importance. She was the first person I ever knew who was openly an, an ardent propagandist for the joys of the flesh. Who would those powers that be, be? I think you need to ask yourself that question. Yeah. Because from majorly humble beginnings no money, abusive father, weird dad, digging up your brother, all these crazy things, not accomplishing anything really, and then suddenly thrust into the world essentially to carry a message, and it was a message of destruction, Damn. which lines right up with this pure bloodline nonsense, this one world order nonsense, this master race nonsense. And now you hear a lot of people, they, she was a champion. She was an angel. She was so amazing. That's rewritten history, friends.
0: It is. It's definitely rewritten history.
1: So there's that. I mean, we could go even deeper. (laughs) There's, I still have pages and pages and pages of stuff. What she read, she was a big acolyte and fan of Crowley and his oh, yeah. sex exactly. magic. It's, it's a deep well, it really is. But I think we're gonna end there today. So yeah, I hope was- we haven't shocked everybody too much. And again, I'm sure there are those of you out there who if you've made it this far disagree with us and that's okay. But if you would like any of these documents, be specific because I'm not going to send them all to you. I have hundreds of them here. I will be glad to send them to you. And yeah. that's down the RH at ProtonMail.com.
0: And it's one of those things, too. I mean, if you if you disagree with us or whatever, send me your information. Send me what you found because this is one of those things. This was fascinating to me to go down this one, and I would love to see what other people thought on this one and what they found. Cause this was not, I, I knew, I knew this, there was some issues with her. <laughs> I never thought it was going to go this dark. I, I mean, once I really went into it and I mean, when I first started listening to episodes and they're like, Oh yeah, well they're comparing her to Mao. Like I said, Mao and Hitler and Mussolini. And I'm like, Oh yeah, come on guys. And then I got farther into it and I'm like, I think she beats them all.
1: I think she does.
0: And then some, Yeah, I agree. Combined beats them all. It's a dark hole. It is. It is. I spent a lot of time driving this week, and that's where I did a lot of my research, and I'm just like, wow. Yeah.
1: So anyway, uh, you have the midweek show.
0: I do. I do. And I think, you know, during the talk here, I think we figured out what I'm going to go for. So. (laughs) Okay. Well, we will look forward to
1: that. Yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, with a brand new episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. I hope we didn't bring you down too much or piss you off too much. Uh, hopefully, you learned something, and do your own research. That's all I can say. That we present yep. what we find.
0: Yep, and hopefully it made you think. Think about you know some. Think about what history is telling us and what the truth really is.
1: That's that is the major exercise right there. Well put. All right. Well, I'm Big D. And I'm Brandon, and we're out of here. See you later.